the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Morning Answer with Brian Whitman and Jennifer Horn. Jen is the conservative crusader. Brian is our lovable liberal. Welcome to The Answer. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, middle of the week already. Thank, Thank you for being, being with us. Yeah, Brian Whitman, Jennifer Horn. It's going to be a wild Wednesday because, of course, the vote counting is still on a week and a day after Election Day. We're at day number eight. I actually uh, – I don't want to – we're not going to go anywhere but uh, with this, but I want the audience to know that I was thanking Jennifer for being here because Jennifer's dealing with a lot with some Aww. loved ones, and I want to thank you for being here because a lesser – person like me would have called in sick <laughs> well no, if you hear uh, me cry like a sissy today it will be because i've had some stuff well, going on in the family we had a loss cry but... my dear see this it's my shoulder i know and it's socially distanced i'll bring my pole over right. Just That's the pre- somebody's gonna <laughs> oh, have to forget those shoot rules. you from a slingshot over here but but no i care no i, you, I know and i love you too and i thank right. you for the support and Boy, this year has not been easy, but we will uh, look at the crazy stuff that is politics, right? The stuff that infuriates us, not makes us sad. Or maybe it makes a little bit of us sad. I guess someone who is happy today is Tom Tillis. He is the senator, a Republican from North Carolina, who is in that really heated matchup with Cal Cunningham, who sounds like he has to be a used car salesman. Yeah, like Cal Worthington. Correct. Got to go to Cal. Right, go see Cal, go see Cal, go see Cal. Well, uh, apparently a couple of mistresses went to go see Cal. Yeah, and- you know what happened was uh, the, uh, the the dispatcher at the brothel would get on the walkie-talkie <laughs> and say, number seven, go see Cal, go see Cal, go see Cal. Ended up and, being a bummer for his Senate run, which is, you know, it And happens. Tom Tillis was – did Tom Tillis, a Republican – it's interesting because a local statewide race, a big race to the U.S. Senate, did Tom Tillis make much of that – George H.W. Bush, here it comes. Character matters. Did he do that a lot in this race? I don't know that he did early on, but I know once the allegations came out that it was obviously a factor in this race. Now, not that we believe polling because polling can be all over the place these days, but early on, it was Cal Cunningham's race to lose. Tom Tillis was the incumbent, but he was leading Tom Tillis by at least four points in multiple polls. Then the story came out about Cal having... Two mistresses and a wife, which is right. uh, it doesn't usually work out well. Right, for Ask Katie the wife. Hill. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, Katie Hill never had. Well, she sort of had a wife. She had a female partner. She had a husband and a girlfriend. Right, and right. so uh, the Democratic candidate Cal Cunningham yesterday. The reason we talk about them conceded the race to Tom Tillis. This is interesting because we're watching that real clear politics map, and North Carolina has not yet been called in favor of President Trump. He's been up by a couple of percentage points in the state since the beginning, but obviously because everything is so tight and we're looking at recounts and we're checking races. The presidential race has not yet been called, but the Senate race yesterday was called in favor of Tom Tillis, the Republican, and Cal Cunningham gave a concession speech or phone call to, to Tom Tillis to let him know he was backing out of the race. Okay. Uh, in November of 2016, I believe this from memory, President Donald Trump did win North Carolina. I believe he did. Yeah, that's a state that he had won before. And he's up in the but state even, right even, now. Huh? He's up in the state right now. So let me see if I can get you a total as to where we are. Because I think it was 2.5% in North Carolina, but they hadn't called it. 
Let's see. Uh, but did they trigger an automatic recount there in North Carolina? Probably no. not with two and a half percent. That's but probably a little. It wouldn't little. be out of the realm of uh, his right for Joe Biden to call for a recount. President Trump is calling for recounts. And so depending well, on. Well, Joe the... Biden won't call for a recount. Well, he could if he wanted oh, to, if this thing would... continues on, right? You know, strategy. Only if Trump calls for a hand recount, then would Biden probably call for a hand recount or certainly wait for the results of the Trump hand recount. Right? And there's a good amount of votes separating these two in North Carolina. Again, they have not called the state for President Trump, yet it's leaning red. He's got 50.1% of the vote. Uh, that calculates to about 2.7 million votes. Joe Biden has 48.7% of the vote. That's about 2.6 mil, uh, 2.6 million votes. So about 100,000 votes separating these two candidates, give and or take how, a few. What, what percentage is reporting? You said... Um... Um, I'm asking how many votes are still out there. How many precincts have not reported? No, I'm not seeing. I think it's like 99% of reporting in. So okay. I think it's So close. that means we have overseas military ballots. We have absentee ballots mm-hmm. that we're still waiting for to magically appear with a postmark on it. And and this is not unlike, as we've, as we've said a lot uh, in the last eight days, uh, it's not completely dissimilar to Florida in 2000 where all of these or most of these issues like overseas ballots, waiting extra time for our men and women in the armed services to have their votes counted. I think every patriotic American, myself included, said, yeah, of course, we'll wait for that. That must happen. But then uh, the whole mail-in ballot thing, to think that they didn't have a hard and fast standard on postmarks is bizarre. And it's just so strange that they knew they were turning to, which I supported, a very alternative form of voting in an American presidential election, yet they seemed, and I called it on the air. Remember, I said to people, you trust L.A. County to, you trust uh, Iowa as they did in the caucus to count these votes. Uh, So so while voting was made more accessible, and Mm -hmm. I stand by my decision to make it more accessible, the next next shoe that drops has to be government and election officials and secretaries of state who can handle it have to do better. And see, this was my argument against Universal. It wasn't that I didn't want people to vote. I want everybody who is uh, legally able to, to vote. I want a high voter turnout. I love the fact that people participated in this election, no matter the outcome. But what comes along with changing the rules in advance of an election, either with Universal mail-in or or expanding early voting in North Carolina, they expanded early voting to encompass, I think, about a month, maybe even six weeks before Election Day. And that causes a whole set of problems that some states are not ready for just to give you the numbers on Tom Tillis and Cal Cunningham, because again, we don't have a call yet and uh, nothing's been certified in North Carolina. It's leaning towards President Trump. But Tom Tillis got 2.6 million votes, which is very consistent, actually a little less than President Trump got. And uh, Cal Cunningham got 2.5 million votes. So just a percent, 1.7% separating them in those ballot totals. But Cal Cunningham obviously feeling like there's no uh, nothing more to pursue. And he has backed away from that race. So uh, this, the Republicans keep a seat in the Senate, one that they thought could have been uh, in jeopardy. Now, also going on yesterday, some uh, people talking about this challenge from President Trump. There were a few stories told on Las Vegas News, and I thought you'd appreciate it because we're talking about evidence and what people, what people what's actually coming to, to light here. And whether or not this switches the election results, and I want to be really clear, I don't know that it will. And pro- most likely, it will not switch the election results as we see them. Right. But 
we've got to get this right. As you just said, we've got to get the counting right. We shouldn't be accepting voter fraud as just the lay of the land because what will happen, and we've seen it in California, is that Democrats will start to manipulate things, then Republicans will start to manipulate things. And instead of our vote counting, it becomes a game of political chess that is only going to get worse from here on out because once you roll out universal mail-in ballots, you think that we're going to go back to something else next time around. They're here to stay. We need to get this right. We need to clear it up. And uh, that's why I actually think President Trump is doing the right thing here by challenging this. The Las Vegas News did a story on a woman who voted. Okay. In the state of Nevada. Problem is, the woman was dead. Oh, so she didn't vote. Take a listen. It was uh, disbelief. Just, it, it made no sense to me. Kirk Hartle said he was surprised when he found out his wife, who died in 2017, had sent in a mail-in ballot. I was surprised because she passed away three years ago. I was surprised to even get that. Rosemary Hartle died at 52 from breast cancer. Her name is still on Clark County's voter rolls. And since everyone in those rolls got a ballot, one was sent to Rosemary. But Kirk says a ballot never got to his house. That is pretty sickening to me, to be honest with you. According to ballot tracks, the mail-in ballot was sent October 9th and returned the day before Election Day. Clark County officials say Rosemary's signature is a match to what's on their records. Registrar for Elections Joe Gloria says any illegal activity will be flagged. Now, that's the story from Las Vegas. A Mm. former Nevada attorney general spoke out after seeing that story and talked about the system and how they were counting votes in the state of Nevada. It's important for people to understand, first and foremost, how insecure this system is. Uh, We have over 600,000 mail-in ballots that have been counted. Those are votes that are official in our system. We also know that we have unclean rolls. Votes, ballots that have been mailed to dead people, to people that moved out of the state, and, and, and many other people that got a dozen ballots in their homes, et cetera. Mm. That's Adam Luxalt, former attorney general for Nevada. He went on to say that yes. voting machines were actually modified and that he doesn't have a lot of confidence in how this process in the state of Nevada was rolled out. Nevada, just for a point of information, was one of the nine states, including California, that rolled out universal mail-in because of the COVID virus. And uh, again, the question is, were they equipped? Were their voter rolls ready for this process? And it seems more and more evidence is mounting up that it was not. Nevada all. Also in the 2020 active campaign season for the U.S. presidency was a surprisingly up-in-the-air state, as both campaigns sort of assessed it. Six electoral votes out of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very interesting to hear, the, uh, to hear the statement there from an official conveying... Not a whole lot of confidence. <laughs> doesn't does make us feel good about protecting our vote. All right. As we continue for a Wednesday, Joe Biden has started to name members to his coronavirus task force. But you won't believe what one of his members actually want to do with our vaccine. The answer will shock you as your Wednesday morning answer continues. Why can't conservatives and liberals just get along? They can. Welcome to the Morning Answer with Brian Whitman and Jennifer Horn. Thanks for joining us. It is a wild Wednesday here on the Morning Answer. Brian Whitman and Jennifer Horn. Uh, we Certainly. are 
certainly wild that we begin here six o'clock hour and 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 hear uh, the the wedding song of Bill and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> that that was it. You know that was that it, was right? that was. It's that actually was the, the, first the song dance. that carried them through their whole relationship. Their I first think. dance for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. William Jefferson Clinton and Fleetwood Mac started singing. Exactly. And tell me lies. At some point, we'll have sweet. Hillary going. <laughs> But right now, it's not on the board. She'll cackle. No. In, in the <laughs> She'll meantime, cackle in the, in the meantime. I know. We'll be coquettish. You yes, know what? If you want big... Nancy Pelosi, I can get uh, you I that. think so. <laughs> Nancy, look, you have problems in the federal government here. And, oh, that's where she usually delivers her coquettish laugh. So here's the interesting part. It's a reversal of roles. And, again, I'm not quite ready to call uh, – to call Joe Biden the president-elect yet, because I'm waiting for the process to, to play out. <laughs> Hillary, Better late please. than never. <laughs> Jennifer's a respected broadcaster. <laughs> Hillary, she's making a point. She is on the radio. People are hearing, and they're thinking and talking along. People are being informed. Please, Hillary, don't laugh or stop. <laughs> she just won't stop. She can't she be She needs to be locked up. <laughs> you know what? I've come to the lock her up. Hillary, I'm sorry. Oh, hey, you know what? I think that somebody wanted to do that a long time ago. But yes, here's the right. story. So now if there is a change at the White House, then for the first time in four years, I get to sit on the outside and just hurl insults inside, which is really exciting. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, I know there's more to the story, so I want to hear it, more information. But then I want to tell you what I think is interesting. And our Morning Answer listeners will find this interesting because they hear the Morning Answer in this great radio station all day. So go ahead, though. Please. 855, by the way, 855 number to, to chime in on this. So Joe Biden, we know this week on Monday, named his uh, his version of his coronavirus task force, right? His advisors, we talked about them. One of them, former FDA chief. One of them was a former Surgeon General for the Obama administration, a professor from Yale, and also Biden, involved. Biden made the point at that time that because he said during the campaign, fighting coronavirus the pandemic would be his number one priority, that he was taking swift action uh, right. Monday morning, 48 hours ago, to do this. So the one of the members of the, of the team, because there are 10, his advisory board for coronavirus is 10 deep. And one of them is an oncologist named Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who serves as one of the advisory board members to Joe Biden's coronavirus task force. Now, he has pushed the country. I, feel like I know the name. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, it sounds I famous. I feel like I know it? that name. Well, he has pushed the United States and other countries not to hoard the coronavirus vaccine. He oh. uh, he was one of the architects, that's probably why you know him, of the Affordable Care Act. Under oh, that the is why I know him. Ob- yeah. Obama administration. He co-authored a paper just uh, last month, in se- well, September, two months ago, in which he encouraged officials to follow the fra- FAIR priority model, which calls for fair international distribution of vaccine rather than vaccine nationalism. Now, the reason I take issue with this is that under President Trump, he launched Operation Warp Speed. And because of Operation Warp Speed, we have Pfizer coming out on Monday saying that they have a vaccine that it has a 90% efficacy rate, right? And that will be ready to roll out maybe as early as January. Now, that's great news because, and this vaccine is going to take some rolling out. It has to be kept at like 80 degrees below zero. There have to be very tight stipulations. But if that's the case, if we put a lot of money into expediting this, we got this going, in a matter of months rather than a matter of decades for one of Joe Biden's coronavirus task force members to say, let's distribute that vaccine globally before covering Americans, even though it was American money and ingenuity that developed this thing. 
What message is that sending? I think it sends a terrible. Let, let, let me start here. Uh, let me start with an issue about a potential Biden presidency. And I don't think it's a great start, uh, but it's a terrible thing to say because uh, and, and this might be a terrible thing for people to hear me say. I think lives around the globe are human lives as ours are human lives. And they're all in the eyes of the Lord equally important. Right. We are all the Lord's children. It is my personal belief. Having said that, the United States is the nation of the world with more COVID cases than any other nation in the world. So why wouldn't we be the ones to primarily receive vaccination since it is our 50 states, our union, our country that has more cases than any other? Isn't that all the scientific data anyone would need to explain why the U.S. would want? I I understand he doesn't want it, uh, this particular uh, uh, coronavirus task force member of President-elect Biden, but uh, I think he's making a, I'll use it, dunderheaded decision. I just, I feel like if it is, if it was American process that got this going and got this approved and available for market, let's Let's take care of American citizens and then help the world. What do you do when you get on an airplane and you lose oxygen in the cabin? You have to put your own mask on so that you can help everybody else. And this is on a very small scale what the United States needs to do. And, you know, I always think back. I love our conversations that we have together because there are ones that really like stick out in my head as really good conversations. And one that I always remember is when we were talking about President Trump's worldview. And I think it was your contention at that point that President Trump didn't really have an ideology. He didn't have a worldview. And I, I remember, when he, yeah, see, when, when he was elected, he came in without a worldview. And you remember I called him a transactional president. And I think he's shown himself to be a transactional president. And I still and I still contend. So the argument still kind of stands that his <laughs> his agenda has always been about America first, not letting America get railroaded by the global community, about standing up for American values, about standing up for American business and American workers. And I think he showed himself in his relationships around the globe in, in doing that to serve the American people, the people that elected him. What has troubled me, what totally troubled me about the Obama administration, I'm having flashbacks now, is a globalist mentality. It was the fact that America came last. America had to apologize and clean up the messes. And President, a President Joe Biden, so if he does take office in January, now has someone on his task force who is saying, don't give vaccines to Americans first. Let's spread them out throughout the globe. You also have Joe Biden saying, let's get back into that Iran deal. Well, are we going to give another plane full of cash to Iran to get back in, to get back into that deal? He wants to get back into the World Health Organization, which is an which is an organization that's propping up China, which is an organization that doesn't necessarily, in my mind, deserve American dollars when they actually cost American lives by not being transparent about the virus when they had the opportunity back in December and January. So it just this to me is I'm almost having like post-traumatic stress where I'm flashing back to the things that really were troubling about the Obama administration already. Well, understand uh, that Joe Biden is not Barack Obama and understand that you'll sure get a lot that looks like Obama initiatives, et cetera. But but there will be differences. Joe Biden's a, uh, a man who's been in this game for a long time, I think. He knows what he believes. Now, back to the first thing you said, which is really important. Uh, as for the vaccine, the the onus, as my dad used to use that word all the time, is on the federal government to dispense it appropriately. Now, you can bet that uh, among those uh, other nations of the world on other continents that are getting uh, some of the uh, of the treatments, there are probably people there who are at much higher risk because their standard of medical care is less. And I do want to say one thing. 
you, you, you made a, a familiar point about how America often spends the money to research, often spends the money to find treatments, cures, vaccines uh, for illnesses that harm people, make them sick or heaven forbid, kill them. But the benevolence of the USA uh, finds us often uh, bringing the fruits of our labor, quite literally, uh, to other nations of the world, that is one of the reasons that we are the 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 shining city on a hill. As yeah, and I'm not saying America, that. and we have an obligation in the world to do that. But we have an obligation first, of course, to protect Americans. And again, that data and it hasn't changed. I remember the morning we had to tell the audience that we had the U.S. had come to number one of most infected people, I, I almost cried off the air because, because it, it hurt me so much to have to share that news. I didn't want to be the person to, to bring that news. It's still a reality. So these vaccines ought to be used, one would think, on the citizens of the country with the most I agree with what you said about America, and uh, I'm not trying to sound conspiratorial here, but if America doesn't start taking care of uh, America, there's going to be no country to take care of the rest of the world, and that is going to be a big problem. As we continue a call in a key congressional race here in the state of California, we'll tell you who came out on top in Orange County as your Wednesday Morning Answer continues. News and talk you can trust. The Morning Answer with Brian Woodman and Jennifer Horne. Thanks for joining us. It's Veterans Day. Thank you to all of you who have served our great country. You are our best resource. You are just the gems that make this country who we are. And from Brian and Jen, we thank you and we have such appreciation and respect for you. For all who have served in the U.S. military today, Veterans Day is to honor your service to our country, and it's always it's it's important. I think uh, for the last twenty years, been particularly important uh, after nine eleven and the record number of people who offered themselves. They didn't have to be recruited; they offered themselves to the U.S. military, which is an all volunteer military. That's we there's no draft. Folks know that. So these are all volunteer servicemen and service women who who do sign up to ultimately, and and we pray. That it never happens, and certainly their family is is praying and probably frightened about it. They put their lives, or they offer their lives, uh, and, uh, and and that is the ultimate offering to to a nation that one loves so dear. So, Absolutely. Uh, well said. Uh, thank you to our veterans on this important and meaningful Veterans Day. And uh, we definitely thank you for all joining us. Now, I want to update you on some congressional races that we have been tracking here in California, some of them too close to call. We do have uh, some good news, I guess, if you are Michelle Steele or if you voted for Michelle Steele in uh, Orange County, Harley Rauta, who is the incumbent in District 48. This was Dana Rohrbacher's old seat. He has conceded. He did that yesterday in the race for the 48th congressional district seat. He was a first term Democrat. He said his campaign ends today. That was yesterday against Republican Michelle Steele, who's the chair of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. That district, Brian, just for just to get the idea, is Costa Mesa, Fountain Valley, Huntington Beach, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Seal Beach, Elisa Elisa Viejo, Westminster, Santa Ana. He said, quote, we did not win this election. And while it isn't the outcome we had hoped for, it's Mm. never been more important for our leaders to hear the voice of people and to accept their judgment. I do. A little veiled hit, I'm sure, at President Trump, Harley Rauta, backing right. out. And Michelle Steele actually winning this race by uh, a good number of votes. I think about 7,000. We'll check that in just a second. But uh, that's she's, a higher, she a higher jumped number ahead. Than, 
Yeah, you know what, Jennifer? That's a higher number in that Michelle Steele case. Uh, case, I say, uh, I'm thinking of a uh, case file, Steele case or something. You were thinking uh, of O.J. Simpson. I know you're obsessed. I, I was. I was thinking of Mark Furman and Cato. And, uh, yeah, I heard three knocks on the – and it was Mark Furman. He was <laughs> planting the glove, man. Uh, remember that? Oof. But uh, I, I, I expected the final margin to be thinner than 7,000 votes. So that's uh, – that's a more impressive victory for the victor. Yeah, and the reason why that one was was called yesterday and why, why Harley Rauta conceded. So congratulations to Michelle Steele. This kind of continues the narrative. Of the races that were flipped, first of all, I think Republicans are up to eight or nine seats that they flipped on Democrats. This is one of them. But I think that Michelle Steele is the sixth. So of those seats that were flipped, six of them were were Republican women, which I think is kind of notable. So you're seeing Mm -hmm. one of the narratives of this election cycle is the rise of the Republican woman, which has a Republican woman I like quite a bit. Well, you should. And by the way, uh, it's – it should be trumpeted more by the National Republican Committee because, uh, uh, for example, if President Trump had won or whomever the the nominee would be, if indeed this this election is uh, as um, seemingly most folks in in government and across the country in terms of statewide uh, state secretary uh, secretaries of office believe that it's going to vice president like Biden, there will be another Republican nominee. And that nominee will also have, maybe not to the extent the president has had, President Trump has had, but they will also have challenges with, sure. with that demographic of voters because it's been a challenge for Republican candidates in the past. Yeah, it's interesting if you just type in, because there have been some stories about Republican women and their rise this year. If you just type in Republican women into Google, these are the top three stories that are returned. CBS says, Year of the Republican Woman, GOP adds record number of women to Congress. The Atlantic, and this is an interesting one, says Democrats have a Republican women problem. And the Christian Science Monitor is the third one returned. It says how Republican women won a record number of seats in Congress. So uh, good job to Michelle Steele. Let's talk about District 25. Yeah. Now, you want to talk about close races. I just did the math. And 159. 159 votes right now are separating which two candidates? Mike Garcia and Christy Smith. 159 votes. And keep in mind, this is a race that has well over about 350,000 people voting in it. So uh, Mike Garcia right now at 165,178. Christy Smith, 165,000. 19. They oh are split 50 50, 159 votes. And all yesterday they were ping ponging. Christy Smith would be in the lead. Yeah. Mike Garcia would right. bounce back. Right. This morning when I woke up and looked at Twitter, Mike Garcia says, We're ahead by just over 100 votes. Please, if you have a ballot that needs to be cured, please turn it in. And that's the thing that we're hearing about now ballot curing. And we talked about it the other day. It's is when you get a return. A, yeah. Maybe an error was made on the ballot in executing or completing the ballot by the voter. Or and a signature it, question. Yeah, election officials, board of registrars will see the, this error or, or multiple errors and will mail back, which is adding time to the process. I would think you might want to hand deliver that or whatever. I No, nah, the Postal Service is the way to go, I guess, with this mail and stuff. You have to, to have uniformity. So they mail it back to the voter and say, X, Y, Z is incorrectly done. Please sign your signature so it looks like the old ones within the margins, et cetera. That will take some more days, and that will take some more days to get back in the mail uh, to the elections officials. However, when those votes get there in a race that's 159, the number you showed me, 157 difference? 157, 
yeah. uh, that's anything can happen in in uh, Congressional District 25. And they are walking to uh, check those ballots to get people who have faulty ballots back. 86% reporting in uh, District 25. Let's talk also about Young Kim, who is in a pretty close race. Um, and before we get there, actually, Michelle Steele, I just did the math. She won by 7,792 bo- votes. Almost 8,000. For a pretty significant margin. And yeah. about 98% of her precinct reporting. Young Kim in District 39, that's also Orange County, is still up over Gil Cisneros right now. The uh, vote tally, let's see, is 168. This is how we do our math here. Yes, right. Carry the one. Is Hold all on, on a calculator. So they're separated by 4,160 votes. Wow. Young Kim with 50.6%. Gil Cisneros with 49.4%. I would imagine they probably call this race today or tomorrow because 98% of the precinct is in. And I'm not sure if Gil Cisneros thinks he can catch up with 4,000 votes. So okay. we'll see okay. how that one turns out. Yeah. Unbelievable, though. Wow. Again, and if you, you have any of these dummies who shake their head at you and say, my vote doesn't count in California, please cite this example of these votes really counting. It may not matter if you're a Trump supporter voting for president in this state, but it sure matters down ballot. Well, how about this if we personalize it? If you're hearing the morning answer uh, at, in the car on the way to work or at work early or at work working from home with the AM 870 app or your at-home smart speakers, it is the morning answer. Brian and Jennifer here on a Wednesday. Think about district. 25. Think about uh, parts of Ventura County, Simi Valley, where the Reagan Library is today. They're having their beautiful uh, celebration and tribute to American veterans. We talked to John Highbush, as we mentioned, uh, and that's happening today. Think 159 votes is the difference right now. I would bet it all, and I don't have a lot, but I'd bet it all. That's how confident I am. Yeah. That at least 159 people during the day on Tuesday had this thought. I don't think I'm going to vote. I can't make it. I got to pick the kid up from school or some variation mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Like lost or ballot. It's not, I can't do it. I know. Right. And and, and maybe 100... they voted. Maybe they voted and pushed the election to this point or maybe they didn't. And maybe More people go they... to Ralph's during the day. Then we'll make up the difference <laughs> of this election. But then, but had they voted, if you're someone who thought that way, I mean, it's not a guilt trip. It's it's just a teachable moment. It's, it's a guilt a... trip for me. Get it together, okay. people. Right. Make okay, this happen. Then. Now, one more call that was made yesterday on Tuesday. Supporters conceded defeat on Tuesday of a union-backed initiative. This was Proposition 15. Right. Uh, the no votes on Proposition 15 outnumber the yes votes by more than 560,000 votes. California saying no new taxes here. And uh, finally, the Prop 15. 15, yes, folks, they actually uh, said they conceded defeat. They said that they are done trying to wage this war against California taxpayers. Okay. <laughs> All right. So they've that was see now we have a couple of examples of people conceding. Mm-hmm. When the numbers maybe are in, we, that's what you do. All right. we'll rub off. When the numbers are still out, we still ah, I see. As we continue, uh, Mitch McConnell, blast Democrats, will tell you why as your Wednesday morning answer continues. Brian Whitman's voices, Jennifer Horn's brain. What else do you need to start your day? This is The Morning Answer. Thanks for joining us on your Wednesday morning answer. It is Veterans Day. Thank you to all who have served from all of us here at AM 870, AM 590. The answer, that's Brian Whitman. I'm Jennifer Horn. And yesterday, Mm. 
The minority leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, has been all over the place because he's got a little growing to do because Republicans have picked up some seats in the House. People are saying he's getting ready in two years to try to push over the uh, the line, the threshold to become Speaker of the House. This Gain is- a majority of elected Republicans in the U.S. congressional districts uh, nationwide. He'll, well, he'll be well within the margin to do that. It wouldn't be a huge ask. And, of course, when you have – if you have Joe Biden sitting in the White House, it makes it a little easier to argue. You right and do a little. And it shift also power. makes it, it. You're right. It makes it easier to argue. It, you, you'll be on defense. You know that's how this is equated to a sporting event. But it also makes Kevin McCarthy potentially Congressman McCarthy, a friend of the Morning Answer, as potentially Speaker of the House. It makes him a much more consequential, important figure. Politi- some are, some political figures are just more important, more meaningful, uh, more consequential than others uh, because of the time they serve in. Uh, he, he would be a very important national figure, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, we like to play every once in a while. We play Ask a Liberal. I mean, I play that every day because Brian is your mom. (laughs) No, with you. Brian's our lovable liberal. And you you know, your mom gives feeds me the questions like Donna Brazil before she does. that. This one, I haven't even run by her yet, but I'm going to give you the preview. Then we'll hear some audio from Kevin McCarthy. All of you can chime in as well. 855-785-8255. Is the time for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House? Is it over? And I'm asking you to think about that answer as a person who is a voting member of the Democrat Party. Do you think Nancy Pelosi's time is over as leader of the party in the House of Representatives? 855-785-8255. There are a couple of arguments being made. One is that because she took a pretty significant loss this time around, there's a question always about leadership. Number two, she has a split party. She has more moderates. She has more socialists. And then number three, a lot of those moderates in the party are saying that the Democrats should not use the term socialism anymore or socialist, and they should stay away from the defund the police narrative. And they say that because it's turning off Americans. Americans, as we know, it's a center-right country by and large, and that type of terminology tends to scare people. Now, Kevin McCarthy, our friend, the congressman from Bakersfield, spoke about this. And then, Brian, I'm asking a liberal about whether or not you think Nancy Pelosi should go for another couple of years of leadership or if it's her time to sort of hang up the dentures. Will she stay as speaker, in your view? Well, only know in January, because to become speaker, you have to have 218 votes on the floor. When she went up for that vote two years ago, there were 15 Democrats who voted against her. Ten of those Democrats will be coming to Congress. Those 10 vote against her again. She will not be Speaker of the House because she won't have 118 because of the gains of the Republicans. Well, I think it's better for America sooner a Republican becomes Speaker. But she's got internal fights because she promised them that she would win enough seats that they would keep the majority this time and next time. Now, everything, not one of one. They only lost. They didn't defeat one Republican. And now in their own conference call, they're calling it a they're yelling at one another whether they should call themselves socialists or not. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, do I think Nancy Pelosi should step aside? Here's what I believe, and I'm being honest with you. Nancy Pelosi is is getting up there in years. 
But a lot of our elected leaders are getting up there in years. Nancy Pelosi, if you look at the scoreboard, has been pretty successful as House Speaker representing the Democrats. I mean, uh, she was there when they lost, and 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 the Speaker obviously became a Republican named Paul Ryan. But uh, she is no stranger, as I said the other day, to having Democrats within the caucus, within the House of Representatives, elected uh, congressmen and congresswomen challenging Nancy Pelosi and offering up some other people uh, in 2017, after the Democrats lost, uh, what was it, three or four special elections in the House, uh, again, in, in 2017, there was a challenge to Pelosi's leadership. Uh, a small group of other House Democrats got together, and ultimately it went nowhere uh, because Nancy Pelosi is seen by that caucus as kind of old faithful in a way. Now, they, they, they might, I don't know what intra, 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 it's like any office in a way. I don't know what intra, intra office uh, uh, gossip is. Maybe they can't stand her. Likely that some of them can't, and she probably can't stand some of them. But um, uh, she's been effective. She really, truly has been effective. And she's been someone, as Democrats have been out of power, out of the White House, who has not been afraid to go up there. Uh, uh, I mean, to Capitol Hill with microphones uh, <laughs> at podiums and say really important things, um, some a lot of hyperbole and some inappropriate. But oh, she's been a warrior for the Democratic Party while it's out of power. I guess and and that could all be true from wherever your, your perspective is. I guess the question that I would have for you as our lovable liberal is, should she carry on? Does she have the right message? Is she the one to represent the bulk of the of the Democrat Party or is there someone else new that's emerging? And I guess that's the conversation. I that. And I think there are a lot of Democrats as much as you know, there's wins and losses. I mean, gosh, we could. Spend 14 hours talking about some of the messages in this election. But one thing that continues to be clear for me, to me as an outsider looking in to the part, to your party, to the Democrat party. I'm as much an outsider looking at it as you are. (laughs) That's actually true. I've said there's, there's definite differences and that's actually one of them. And I think maybe the biggest thing is that even if Republicans take a loss on the presidency, it was a pretty successful uh, election in other, in terms of other things. We will probably keep control of the Senate. Nothing's guaranteed. We picked up some seats in the House. The party is pretty coalesced behind President Trump. Democrats mm-hmm. have a have a break in them that is getting, I think, bigger by the minute. And that break is between moderates and leftists. So the liberals, the classic liberals like you and leftists. And I think there's a real battle for control And Nancy Pelosi has been able to kind of tamp it down. She's been trying to play both sides. And that's great leadership. Is she going to be able to continue to do that, I guess, would be the question. Your question is a great question. It has me thinking a second time, and and I'll revise my answer based on the the intellect of your question and the importance of your question. And I'm not, not blowing smoke. I'm telling you the truth. Vice President-elect Biden ascends to the presidency. Okay, you know I believe this will happen. I'm not Kreskin either, so maybe there's some evidence that he might become president. Uh, This would be the time to have the change in the speakers in the democratically controlled House of Representatives to have a change in the speakership because it will – because the Democratic Party will be run by Joe Biden and the speaker will be – less spotlight on the speaker and give that person time to kind of get along. And and that person probably wouldn't be elected speaker without the approval, not without the endorsement, if you will, of the then president, 
Joe Biden. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I think it would make it easier rather than a new speaker being out there all alone fighting the Republicans who have the Senate and have the House. I just feel like Chuck Schumer, who could also be considered at this point uh, until Joe Biden uh, obviously would be considered the leader of the party. But before we would look at Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer, I think, has always been very ready to uh, call out for all of the, the far left stuff that he wants, packing the courts, ending the filibuster, creating new states. He is not shy from that. Nancy Pelosi, to me, seems that she's really walking the walk in the House. She's trying to appease moderates, yet she won't stop saying words like socialist or socialism, even though the bulk of her Democratic members are asking her to do that. She's not willing to because she knows the power and the energy of her party is behind the people in the squad, the AOCs of the world. But it's really not true because of all the choices, excuse me, the Democrats had to nominate, they selected, and I called it, and I said to you, they'll select one of these, and I told you, I'll vote in the primary for one of these center-left candidates, Biden being the most electable of them. Between me, it was Biden or Bloomberg. And uh, he's a center-left candidate when there were plenty of options from Elizabeth Warren to Bernie Sanders for Democrats to choose. They did not. They chose Joe Biden. Yeah, and I think that the party did that because they're aware that voters wouldn't go for someone far left. So they went for a Biden as a vehicle, essentially, to get some of their far leftist ideas out. I say the energy of the party, however, is behind the ones making the most noise, and that is the squad. We'll hear from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Is he denying a smooth transition to a potential Biden administration? We'll talk about it as your Wednesday morning answer continues.